The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory to you. O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Will the big three go up the mountain with Jesus? Did they go up because they were to be the leaders of the disciples? Or did they go up because they were the biggest sinners of all the disciples? I guess you decide. Think about what Peter does. Think about what James and John want to be about. Who's the greatest? You decide. But nonetheless, they go up the mountain and Jesus is transfigured and they get this amazing view like Peter will say in the epistle reading, had the revelation of God in Christ more fully confirmed because he got to see this amazing vision, this amazing proof. It's so cool. Wouldn't we like that? Wouldn't we like to see one of the miracles that Jesus did in his earthly ministry? Wouldn't we like to be on that mountaintop and see that bright shining light to confirm more fully our faith? Sometimes we need a little shot in the arm, don't we? Especially in this day where, as I see it, so many are wrestling with belief. Um, And I would say, especially in the last hundred years um, of the Enlightenment, so to speak, where we start using our, you know, thinking and our critical thinking, not just about the world, but also about the faith tradition of Christianity and any faith tradition. So many today wrestle with the concept of belief, and so many say to me, well, prove it. If I'd see it, then I'd believe it. A famous Lutheran theologian going way back, Soren Kierkegaard, said to that, though, well, there were all kinds of people that saw it and didn't believe it, so don't think that's going to guarantee faith either. But it's understandable that we'd like to see something like that. So what is the point of the transfiguration story as it launches us into our 40 days of Lent? As it's the end of the bookend, the bookends, the end, last one of all the epiphanies we've had in this epiphany season. Maybe the importance of this vision 
of this epiphany is what we don't see at the end of the story. I'll say more about that in a minute. But what we see is cool, yes, but also what we don't see. And there is Moses, who is the epitome of the law, and Elijah standing next to Jesus. And at the end, they are gone. What is up with that? What is up with that? Um, Maybe the whole point of this story isn't the vision, but what it points to. Maybe the, we should call this Sunday not Transfiguration Sunday, but Declaration Sunday. Because we get two amazing words, one from God and one from Jesus. So let's just walk over the process of what happens and pay close attention to this. Jesus goes up the mountain with these, the big three, Peter, James, and John. He is transfigured. This is not just a vision they have. He actually is, changes the bright light. Um, it's very much akin to what Moses experienced when he went up on the mountain in Exodus. And there is Moses and Elijah, and of course, what Peter wants to do immediately is build what they call booze. In the Greek, it's skene, which is the word for tabernacle in Greek. The, there was a festival, one of the great feasts of the, um, of the Jewish people at the time of Jesus was the festival of booze. It celebrated when God tabernacled with the people in the wilderness. And of course, you would set up a tabernacle wherever you went, and God was there. And so Peter wants to do that. Now, why did he do that? Well, some people like to say, and I think there's a lot to this, well, when we have a mountaintop experience, when we have this amazing sense of the Holy Spirit and and God's with, I can remember retreats that I went on as a high school kid, probably still shaping me, actually. And I remember how depressed I was, though, when I went home. (laughs) Not because home was bad, but because it was so cool on the mountaintop. Some of our women are at the women's retreat, probably having that experience. But maybe there's another reason Peter wanted to set up those booths. Why did God create, and the whole concept of a tabernacle, of a portable temple, to go around with the people while they're in the wilderness. Why? Because God was so holy and so righteous that if God came before them face to face, what would happen to them? They'd be goners. That's how righteous and holy God is. And so the tabernacle actually protected the people. I know this sounds strange, but it protected them from God because they were unholy. And so you had the priests and this whole system to let the people experience God, but yet not totally because they would be goners. So maybe Peter's like, oh no, Moses and Elijah, they've got God all over them, and Jesus, we better set up a tabernacle so we're safe. You decide. But what's really cool about the story, especially as Matthew tells it to us, um, you know, sometimes when somebody's talking and just saying something silly, you just got to interrupt them. 
don't you? It's like, okay. And it's like the voice comes from heaven, you know. Peter, zip it. The voice interrupts Peter in midstream and said, and says from heaven exactly what was said at Jesus' baptism that we celebrated at the beginning of Epiphany. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. All of you are biblical scholars now. You've been listening to Pastor Jonathan and I for long enough. You know that that's a conflation of Psalm 2 and Isaiah, um, for, uh, the servant songs in Isaiah. This is my beloved son. This is the king. And then this is the messianic servant from Isaiah, the servant um, that's going to redeem Israel, not with power, but by being a servant and laying one's life down. Boom. This is who he is. The king and the servant. The Messiah. But we get an ad now. Listen to him. Listen to him. Of course, when the voice comes, even after they see the vision, they're going to build the booths to keep themselves safe or to stay there forever. I don't know. And then the voice comes, and what are Peter, James, and John? They are what? They're afraid, yeah, make it stronger. Yeah, shaken in their boots, as we say. Terrified. This is not the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom kind of fear. You know, like our Pastor Jonathan and our youth came up with so many years ago, awe, spectrance, awe, respect, and reverence. It's not that kind of fear. We're talking about, I'm terrified, I'm out of here, I'm going to die. Some of you have had that experience. And then what happens? Jesus does something that's truly amazing because, you know, why would they be terrified? Because same reason that, you know, Moses went on the mountain and he had to put a veil over his face when he came down because the glory of God was so terrifying. Why? Because Moses is the, the law, and the law always accuses because when we see God, like Peter did when Jesus, you know, uh, multiplied the fish and, and when he called Peter, and what does he do? He gets on his knees. I am unworthy. That's pretty much the right human reaction. If you ever run into God, I would do that. I would get on your knees. But what does Jesus do? He, he touches them. And he says, do not fear. His touch takes away the fear. So let's, let's just unpack this a little more and um, think about these two voices. So God says this. We've just talked about that. This is my beloved son whom I will please listen to him. So now let's talk about listening to Jesus. How are you doing with listening to Jesus? I mean, that seems to be the whole point. Because at the very end, after Jesus says, have no fear, why do they not have to be afraid now? Where'd Moses and Elijah go? They're gone. The, mo the law has nothing to say to them now because Jesus has touched him and touched them. So how are you doing with listening to Jesus? <sighs> well, 
I want to quote an expert in teaching and learning at this point. Someone I know fairly well. She's an expert in teaching and learning. She's taught me a lot. This is what's been the passion of her life. Practice builds fluency. Fluency builds competency. And the more you are exposed to something, the greater the neural pathways become in your brain. She would go on to say, it changes your brain. So now let me put up another statistic or another point. The average screen time in the United States is seven hours and four minutes a day. About half of that is dedicated to your mobile device and about three of it sit in front of your TV. I know you're thinking that's ridiculous. No way can anybody spend seven hours in front of their screen a day. I don't spend that much time. If you don't spend that much time, that means somebody else spends more. This is the average. Think about what Sandy said. You know, it's kind of like what Pastor Jonathan and Paula and myself have been telling you for, you know, a long, long time and your pastors before that. Like Martin Luther said, whatever your heart entrusts itself to is your God. In other words, where are you putting your time? What are you listening to? It shapes your brain. So I want to just challenge you just for a moment, get real practical here. What are you looking at in those seven hours a day? (laughs) You should know that every time you open up your phone, they're after you. Every time I open up YouTube to watch one of my cool lectures, somebody else is trying to get me to watch how to improve my golf swing. And I believe it. I've watched 100 videos in the last two months. It's not working. But they promise me it will. Hit these 10 golf balls and do this and you will change your game. It's a lie. (laughs) But in all seriousness, you know, right, that when you listen to whatever news media you like to listen to or you, you click on whatever you like to click on, that there's an algorithm that's going to give you more and more and more of what you want to hear so that you'll keep watching and watching and watching. And so the more we pour ourselves into social media and those phones, we get neural pathways are shaped. And then when we hear stuff that doesn't confirm what we want to see, we dismiss it. We don't even hear it. And this applies to you what, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. Maybe this Lent, you should, I don't, I, I'm not going to talk about the TV stuff. I'd just write that off, personally. I'll make everybody mad <laughs> today. I mean, maybe you listen to, you read the news from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Maybe you, maybe if you always read the New York Times, you read the Wall Street Journal. I don't know. Try and send something down the pathway that's a little different than what you typically do. Challenge yourself that way. But that's really, I'm not thinking that that's exactly what Jesus wanted me to tell you today. 
How are you doing with listening to Jesus as opposed to all the other voices? Here we are in Lent, and I'm going to encourage you, whether it's a devotional, starting the Christ in Our Home one that's back there, we've got some, an online one that's printed in your beacon today. Um, maybe you start at the Chosen TV series that you haven't started yet, if you haven't. Uh, really interesting, really good telling so far of the story of Jesus. I haven't got to the third season yet. And that, yeah, of course, I have some issues, you know, but I suppose. But no, it's really good. It's really powerful. Maybe, you've, maybe you listen to Jesus that way, spend more time in prayer, shut off the TV, uh, have a time where you read a book. Um, if you want a book to read, I'll give you lots of books. Just ask me. Send me an email. I would love if I had 40 emails, and that's all I did on Monday. Um, you know, what is worship? I just, it's interesting. Um, did you note to this morning's news? You know what Amazon just did? And I know I got, I'm, I got my eye on the clock here. Don't worry. Um, Amazon just said, you got to be in the office three days a week now. Because glory be, they figured out you're not as engaged when you're sitting in front of your computer screen as you are in person. Let us think about all of these things. I don't know what it is, but I want you to be attuned. Are you giving time to Jesus this Lent? Maybe it's not giving up something, but it is like I'm going to listen more fervently and devoutly to Jesus. Because when I listen to Jesus, things change. We look up. And we don't see all these other voices in our culture telling us to freak out and be afraid and telling us we're not enough and telling us to do more of this and that and everything else and telling us and belittling us so that we'll have to buy a new product to make ourselves feel better. No, all of that, you look up and Moses and Elijah and all of that is gone. And there's just Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He reaches down and he touches you. And he doesn't say, you know, you're not enough. You know, you didn't do good enough. You should this and you should that. He doesn't give you the shoulda, woulda, couldas. He says, you're my child, do not fear. And he gives you his righteousness and his holiness. You don't have to be afraid anymore. That's why you come here if you didn't know it. Jesus, just imagine Jesus right now touching you. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if we could actually have his touch? Oh, yeah. This is my body. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Hey, let's... Let's listen to Jesus in every way possible so that we can truly have life and have it more abundantly. Thanks be to God. Amen.